Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, April 19th, 2020, we continue our series titled, Live Different, The Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, Anxious for Nothing, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Enjoy. Hey, good morning, Highlands. It's wonderful to be here, and it's wonderful to have you here inside the Stevens home today. Today, I'm going to be talking to you from the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at Matthew 6, 25 through 34, if you want to turn to there. But let me try and prepare your hearts for the message that we're going to hear today. Oftentimes in life, we deal with various emotions, and we try to make as many decisions rightly to glorify God as we can. But I find that sometimes we, we interject emotion into our circumstances and our situations. For instance, when we encounter anger, the simplicity of understanding anger is that it's happening as a result of a blocked goal. Something's getting in the way of your will or your desire. This is why possibly you can pull onto a freeway and find a traffic jam and find yourself angered because in fact they are literally and figuratively blocking your goal of moving to your next location. We also sometimes deal with acts of hopelessness. This comes from us having unrealistic goals and difficulties of seeing a way out. It's what brings us to a moment of despair or maybe sets us into depression. But today, what Jesus is going to talk about, he's he's going to talk about anxiety and anxiousness. He's going to say to us that we should not be anxious. And there's a good reason for that. Anxious or anxiety comes when we have an unclear goal. We really don't know what is to come. It's what pushes us into our heart of faith. We're going to wrestle today with the measure of faith that's given to us. I want you to understand that God has given you absolutely the full measure of faith that you need to operate and function in your everyday life. In fact, we make our decisions based upon an inclination or a disposition at any one particular time. Our inclination is, of course, those things that we're hardwired for. We're, we're created, and in fact, and, and born with a sin nature. That is our inclination. We default to it all the time. But the secondary aspect that, to that is our disposition, our attitude at any one particular time. Jesus is trying to in, influence us here today with changing our disposition, looking at the kingdom of God, not uh, declining in our measure of faith, And he's attempting to bring to us a clarity as to why do we have anxiety? Where does worry, in fact, come from? So with that, let's take a look at Matthew 6, 25 through 34, which reads like this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, 
O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We pray now, Lord, that you would prepare in our hearts a disposition, an attitude to receive your word and to apply your word to our everyday life. Help us, Lord, to grow in your grace and the knowledge of your Son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to talk briefly about the structure of this passage. The word therefore is used three times. And when we see the word therefore, we have to have a better understanding of what the word therefore is there for. In fact, it's causing us to reflect backwards. So we're going to see the word therefore used three times in this structure. First, it's going to be in verse 25, then 31, and then 34. And in fact, gives us a better understanding. So on each one of these sections, we'll back up just a little bit to understand the context of why the therefore is there. So in Matthew, when he mentions the first therefore in verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. But if we back up to what Thomas spoke about the last time in the Sermon on the Mount, what we talked about was no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In fact, you cannot serve both God and money. And with that, we understand what the therefore is it. We can't serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see, the profundity of what God is saying here is he's delivering this message of understanding that we cannot serve two masters. And this comes even in the basic necessities of our life. It's in fact point one. You cannot serve God and stuff. And by stuff, I mean anything, anything other than the one true God. In fact, it's impossible for us to, to violate commandments two through ten without first violating commandment one, thou shalt have no other God but the one true God. So what Jesus is saying here is that you cannot serve God and money. If there's anything in my life that I ever come to moments of anxiety about, it is in that monetary system of anxiety where I feel that it is, in fact, my duty as the, as the male, as the husband, to provide for my family. Nothing gets me more sideways than when things become financially difficult. Some of you may be encountering this kind of financial difficulty during this season of COVID-19. In fact, you've taken dips in income. For some of you, you've been furloughed or laid off. It has to be creating a certain amount of anxiety because we, in fact, lack a clarity as to what is God's provision today or tomorrow. Just like when we were in the Lord's Prayer, He said, give us this day our daily bread. He wants us to be dependent upon Him for our daily provisions. 
Nothing's changed here in what Jesus is saying. In verse 24, Jesus taught that the love of money was harmful because it's impossible for a person to serve God and money at the same time. We can be just as unfaithful to God through worry as we can through coveting. If you remember in weeks past, we talked about coveting. That's desiring or wanting something that simply doesn't belong to you. I find it difficult sometimes when I see great things. When I see people who have nice things or nice stuff, there is a tendency within me to say, man, I wish I had one of those. I wish I drove a car like that. I wish I had a home like that. Coveting, in fact, drags us away and pushes us into this position of comparing. And comparison, of course, is the robber of all joy. But what Jesus is saying here in the exact same reason of his followers are why they're not to be anxious about some future happening or some future provision. In fact, your trust, your security will either be in worldly things or in God himself. Having anxiety about the basic needs of life, like food and water or clothing, in fact, makes God, it puts us into a position of doubting God's ability to take care of us. One pastor, Kenneth West, said this. He says, we commit sin when we worry. We do not trust God when we worry. We do not receive answers to prayer when we worry, simply because we are not trusting Sinclair Ferguson, another theologian, said this. He says, when your anxiety is about what you eat or drink or the clothes you wear, the very basic servants of these needs becomes our master. We become enslaved to the very things. For many of us, we're enslaved to a car payment. Maybe we're enslaved to a a, a stretch on our mortgage. But even sometimes, Raising four daughters, I start to realize that we become enslaved even to the simplicities of life like clothing. What will I wear? What will I wear to this dance? What will I wear to this event? And the insecurity that comes about that is in fact drawing us away from our relationship with Jesus. It's an anxiety that comes about itself. There becomes a difference between the godly sense of responsibility and anxiety and worship. In fact, the anxiety of worry is oftentimes masqueraded in responsibility. Man, I am guilty of this. I have spent a lifetime working in corporate America thinking that this is my purpose in life, to be the provider of my family. In fact, I've made every excuse in the book why I have to be somewhere in the world working on some sort of business. This has resulted in my life of me missing all four of my daughters taking their first steps. In fact, it's, it's not, not being there when they win uh, sporting events. And all of this was sold straightforward under the auspice that I can't neglect my responsibility. See, during this time where we've been locked indoors and we've been socially uh, separated, I found something in my mind starting to change. I found that it is busyness that leads me to anxiety. Sometimes the busyness of life is this masquerade of responsibility. But I've found that the reason why I want to be busy is not to avoid my family, but to avoid the actual responsibility of my life. In fact, my anxiety leads me to a place of some sort of masquerade of responsibility that makes me want to flee 
that intimate personal relationship with Jesus, a fear that I'm going to come eyeball to eyeball with Jesus and I'm going to have to give an account for my activities. I'm going to have to give an account for the things that I want. The psalmist in Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Man, I struggle with this verse. Because what it does is it places me in dependence upon my shepherd. And the shepherd is the one who provides me with all of my needs. And anything outside of my needs is want. In fact, money and anxiety and coveting are pursuits of the world, not the pursuit of Christ. Contentment is God's provision in the divine life. Being content with that which God has given us. It's He who provides us all that we need. In fact, everything else is desire and want. We have to know the difference between need and want. In our second therefore, we see in verse 31, it says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying. But let's back up to understand the context of this. In verse 26, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. When Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, I want you to think in your mind, point number two, a small faith equals a big worry. Small faith equals big worry. In fact, Jesus in this second reason of why we shouldn't worry involves knowledge more than just logic. The truth is, is God is both able and willing to care for those whom trust in him. But God has demonstrated this in how he cares for the birds of the air and how he, in fact, dresses the flowers of the field. The birds simply don't worry, but they, like, they work diligently within their purpose. They're not idle. God's not calling us to living a life of being idle. Our call is not to our sofa in our living room. Our call is to be busy. But there's a difference between the busyness of the world and being prudent and responsible with that which God has entrusted you. In fact, in verse 27, when he says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? You see, the father knows the beginning from the end. In fact, he plans each and every step of your life. There is in fact nothing that can happen in your life that wasn't ordained by God. Worry is, in fact, the very warning that God gives us. It's like a flare gun going off so that you know at that moment you're not on his path. You're not on his plan because you're not trusting in him. Worry, in fact, accomplishes absolutely nothing. 
There's probably greater sins, but there's none that are more self-defeating and useless than worry. Sinclair Ferguson also said this. He says, the secret of freedom from anxiety is freedom from ourselves and abandonment of our plans. You see, it's about trusting God's sovereignty. He who created a good work in you will, in fact, complete that work till the end of the age. It takes this building time and experience with Jesus. But if we fill our life with so much busyness, then we don't get the time and experience to go eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. And that which we masquerade in responsibility is in fact the detraction that takes us away from a close and intimate relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Peter, we saw as he built his time and experience in his relationship with Jesus, he pinned in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, casting all anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do you realize that? Do you realize that Jesus not only loves you, he likes you. He cares for you and he desires for you to push all of your anxieties onto him. Because it's sin, and it's what Jesus died for. He died so as a substitutionary atonement so that you would not have to bear the weight of the sins that we carry with us. He says, oh, you of little faith. I oftentimes take this to mean learn better manners. Can you imagine what it's like for the God of this universe to be constantly looking at us and having us feel that we have to pick up the mantle, that we are the ones that do cause and effect, that we are the ones that God is depending upon us to do something. But in fact, he wants us to be prudent and responsible, working in our lives and working his plan. But to a certain extent, when he says, oh, you of little faith, I feel like what he's saying there is he's saying, man, you need to have better manners in how you live your life because I gave you the gift of faith and you're not utilizing it to its full sufficiency, to its full effectiveness. And you're defaulting to trust and depend upon yourself. What Jesus does not say is that they have no faith. This gives us great hope. It's not that you have no faith, it's you of little faith. Because we try to take things on ourselves, we masquerade in this responsibility and we start to find an inadequacy of faith. In fact, in this inadequacy of faith, we're not actually acting sufficient in it. So Jesus then draws this stark contrast between the life of those whom do not know God. And he says, for the Gentiles seek. Man, what he's telling us here is he's telling us that the Gentiles seek for these things and and those who even love Jesus himself are oftentimes seeking for these things that we're acting like the non-believer. You see, I'm never to be worried that suddenly there's not to be enough to keep me going in life. God is the protector and the sustainer of even a bird's life. He says to us about the bird's Especially in Matthew 10, 29, he says, not a sparrow will fall to the ground unless the Father wills it. Have you ever thought about that? You think about all the birds. In this time at home, I've been able to sit on my patio and just kind of enjoy my family and enjoy our yard. But let me tell you, when I hear the birds chirping, 
It's amazing to me. It's mind-blowing to me that not one of those birds chirps without the Father's will. Not one of those birds' life comes to an end and falls to the ground unless the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth, wills it to be. If he's got this control of even the birds and the lilies of the field, how much more does he have control of our lives? In fact, the things that we have, the needs that are being met by God, are only needs when they come to us effortlessly. Point number three, needs are met effortlessly. In fact, Matthew 6, when we get to this 34, verse 34, and the therefore that's there, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Why? Because, here's why, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these needs will be added to your life. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Give us this day our daily bread. To be dependent upon his provision of our needs on a daily basis. Being anxious about nothing means that our needs are met effortlessly. The therefore in verse 31 appealed to our experience of what we eat or drink or wear. But the therefore in verse 34 tells us, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these needs will be added to you. You see, he's pointing to our disposition. He's pointing to our attitude with that which he has already given us. The measure of faith that he gave you is sufficient to trust him for his daily provision. Our highest moment of trust in God is when we recognize that our needs are met without our efforts. Do you know what it's like to live in the bliss of this statement? Man, I get moments of it. Moments where I'm just wowed by God and His daily provision. But do we know the capital T truth of this statement? To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You see, if we don't, then it probably speaks to the fact that we've never hungered and thirsted for righteousness like he talked about earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount. Or maybe at the very beginning, we haven't really realized what it's like to be poor in spirit for those who inherit the kingdom of God. Anxiety itself can never be cured by getting more of what we already have. Many people fall into that fatal mistake in fact, anxiety can only be cured by the assurance that all our needs are being met by our king. Seek first, he says. To seek first. We are to concentrate on improving our relationship with God. We must grow in his grace. We must grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who Jesus is. If anything of worry and anxiety gets in the way, I have to say that it's my own attention deficit disorder that causes it to be so. No sooner do I receive the needs from God that I find something shiny on the other side of the street or frankly at Home Depot, and I feel that that becomes a need as well, when in fact it's merely a want, a desire. I have to stay focused on His kingdom and His righteousness. So why do I still worry? Why do I still have anxiety from time to time? I thought about this. 
I think the first thing that we need to do is we must recognize that all the promises that Jesus has made on the Sermon on the Mount are to Christians only. He's not making this promise to all humanity without exclusion. He's talking to a specific group of distinction. He's talking specifically to Christians. The second point is this. If you are a believer, you must grow in grace. You must grow in the knowledge of His Son. And it's seeking His kingdom and His righteousness is about a growing awareness. You see, we focus so much on our life to try and change but the only change that should be taking place is a growing awareness. A growing awareness of how high and how holy is this God. Simultaneously, we need to grow in our awareness of my sinful desires. So that when God sends upon me the emotion of anxiety or worry, I've noticed that it's a flare gun sending me a grand warning that I am not trusting and depending upon the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, at that moment, I'm not growing in my awareness of God's holiness and probably thinking that I'm masquerading in responsibility, I'm subsequently not growing in my awareness of my sinful desires. Thirdly, we need to get into the habit of turning to God whenever this feeling, this moment of worry or anxiety takes place. As I said, it's God's flare gun. You see, this is a learned behavior. It's conditioned. I need to first experience the anxiety so that I can understand that at that moment, I'm not trusting him. We need to stop and pray and say, Lord, take this worry, take this anxiety that I am experiencing at this moment and help me to trust in you as the shepherd who provides for all of my needs. And in fact, it starts earlier. It starts with a renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind, as Paul says, be not conformed to this world. In Romans 12, 2, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In fact, what Paul's trying to get across to us is that worry and anxiety. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? These are the worries of the world. For your Father loves you. He will, in fact, provide for you. And as you work through this, you're going to find that you come not to a place of anxiety and worry, but that you come to a place of divine contentment. To be content with what God has given you. For He has provided you with food. He's provided you with shelter. He provides all of your needs. He's even given you the measure of faith to trust in Him. He is the great God of this universe. To Him be the glory. And may our lives be dependent in trusting in Him. Amen? Amen. Let's spend some time with worship and let us come back together as we just give some words of encouragement as we go forward in our week. Another week of social distancing. But hopefully a week that we will find ourselves not anxious, but trusting in what God has provided. Amen. Brothers and sisters, man, I miss you guys. It is so difficult to sit here and preach to a camera. I long for the days that we can be back together that we can shake hands, that we can hug, that we can pray together, 
not on a Zoom, but face to face. I pray that there's coming a time that as we deal with the daily things of life, worries about money or the basic necessities, or maybe even what tomorrow brings, may we find ourselves depending upon the person of Jesus Christ, both the creator, the author, and perfecter of our faith. To him be the glory. Do whatever you can to minister to one another in your homes. Do whatever you can to reach out to brothers and sisters via phone or Zoom. But let's be there with great anticipation of what God's going to bring together when we get a time to come back together and to celebrate that which was taken away for a brief moment so that we would grow in our appreciation of God's needs being provided. I love you guys. We'll see you all soon, I hope.